Good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? Everybody good? A little rainy, but it's getting cool, and I'm pretty happy about it. Uh, I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here. We welcome you. We're so thankful that you're here with us to worship as we continue this morning in our time in the Word. Um, I want to say a special welcome to Slajan and Sarah Malinkovich. You guys wave your hands. Slajan and Sarah right there. Yeah, welcome, guys. Um, it feels like yesterday that we first met Slajan and Sarah over at St. Jude's Target House uh, when they were here uh, from Serbia for um, Sarah to get treatment at St. Jude. And a lot has happened since then, becoming uh, great friends and then mission partners. And as you guys know, we partner with Slajan, who is the director of Who Bible School there in Apova, Serbia. And uh, we've sent teams over there every year, and they are here this week. And we are so happy. Uh, we picked them up last night from the airport. Sarah was really excited to get a Domino's pizza, right? It's a tradition. And um, Michelle is really excited about going shopping with Sarah. And let's just hope that it ends okay for me. So um, <laughs> anyway, we're really, really thankful that y'all are here. Let's pray as we continue in worship. Father, uh, we thank you. Thank you for your love. In this is love. Not that we have loved God but that he, God, you have loved us. And you gave your son, you gave everything for the propitiation, forgiveness of our sins. God, we thank you today for your love. We don't come boasting in anything other than what you have done for us, who you are for us. And we thank you that in your great love and by your wonderful grace, you have provided all that we need. To have relationship with you and life forever. So come, we come today, God, just celebrating you, asking for, for more of your Holy Spirit. God, we pray for your presence with us today. We need you, God. We confess that we need you. We need to hear from you, God. Your words are life to us. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the life that comes for all who believe in him. And I pray today that you would awaken and cultivate, renew faith in us that we might have more of you in your life. Thank you, God, for your living word. I pray today, God, that you would speak we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to get them open to the Gospel of John. We're in our seventh week now of our series, Word Became Flesh. We're going a, week, a chapter at a time through the Gospel of John uh, in our series. And uh, John writes with a clear purpose. He says, I've written these things. He said, you know, I could have written a lot of things. But in chapter 20, he says, I've written these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. John, a close friend, an apostle, a disciple of Jesus, one who was with him throughout his life, throughout his ministry, who stood there as he was crucified for your sins and mine, who watched him buried and then saw him triumphant from the dead. This John writes to you and to me that we may know in an ever-deepening way who Jesus is that he is the Christ, he's the Messiah, the appointed one of God who's come to set us right with our relationship with God now and forevermore. And not just that you would know 
know that he's the Christ, but that you and your heart might cast your hope upon him, that you might put all of your faith in Jesus, believe in him, and as you surrender to him in, in faith, that you might experience life as you believe in his name. This is John's purpose, and this is the purpose that he writes, chapter seven. This morning, a message title is Jesus, Our Fulfillment. John chapter seven. If you've got something to write with, I encourage you to get something open so you can take notes, whether it's your phone or piece of paper or your study guide or ICC app. Uh, Jesus, Our Fulfillment. I'll go ahead and give you the main point, and it's this. Jesus invites us to find all of our fulfillment in him alone. After last week's, you're probably glad that this week's is so simple. You're like, wait, that's only a few words. The main point is this, and I don't want you to believe it because of me. I want you to believe it because of the word of God, which we're about to study together. But the main point, Jesus invites us, he invites you, friend, to find all of our fulfillment, all of your fulfillment in him alone. John chapter 7, starting in verse 1, and I read from the English Standard Version. We're going to read the chapter and we're going to walk through it together. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see all the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his disciples, excuse me, after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up. Not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? There was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone, anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and 
you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Now some of the people in Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man who they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. And they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me and where I am, you cannot come? And on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. When, these, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers said, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Jesus, our fulfillment. 
I thought about calling this message, but it didn't fit with the whole series. But here's the real thing that I want to focus on in this message today. It comes right out of this passage. This is an interesting chapter. I don't know how much you've uh, been in the Word this week. I hope a lot because... uh, Uh, studying the word is our joy, meeting with God personally, meeting with God here together corporately, meeting with God in community in our small groups. Uh, But this chapter is just so full of important uh, biblical truth for us. Jesus meets us in this chapter in a special way. I, I thought about calling this chapter true faith and true fulfillment. If you want to write another title down, you're welcome to write that one. Um, because if I had to use it, that's what I would, that's what I would use. But Jesus, our fulfillment, but really in this chapter, what I believe John is showing us as he leads us to know that Jesus is the Christ, to believe in him and experience life in his name. John is showing us the nature of true faith and the nature of true fulfillment. The passage opens in verse one and two. Look back at Verse two, it says, now Jesus, now, excuse me, now the Jews feast of booths was at hand. The Jews feast of booths was at hand. Anybody know what the feast of booths is? Okay, this is exciting then. I love teaching. Um, the feast of booths is held every October. In fact, it, it just finished um, on the 11th, which I think was last week um, in Israel. Still goes on to this day. It was prescribed in Leviticus chapter 23. I will read it to you. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 42 to 43, if you're writing a reference, you shall dwell in booths or tabernacles for seven days, the Lord said to Moses. And all that are native in Israel shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. The Feast of Booths, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles, was the time in in Jewish life. And and for Jewish people still today, they still continue in the same practice. Where literally it's a time set aside for them to remember how God provided for the people of Israel greatly as they journeyed through the wilderness. For 40 years, it was God and God alone who provided for his people. And he did it in miraculous ways to show them that he was all that they needed so every year what would happen is the, the people literally, would, they would make booze. They would make little houses out of, out of branches from trees. And it would all symbolize how God was taking care of them through what he had provided for them. They would also light candlesticks, uh, big candlesticks, to signify how God led them through the wilderness at night by, by a pillar of, of fire. They also, the priest would, would go to the, the pool of Siloam and they would take golden vessels and they would dip them down into the water and on a daily basis they would come out with the golden vessels and they would just pour the water out in the sight of all the people to signify how God had miraculously provided for them uh, from the rock under Moses' leadership. It was an amazing time of celebration. Uh, it's an amazing time of, of thanksgiving, but all of it meant to point to God being one who provides, provides all that is needed. Well, interestingly, it is the context of this Feast of Booths that this all takes place. All of this is going on. Now, I told you, I really believe what we see here is a portrayal of true faith and true fulfillment. The first section, though, I really believe starts with 
Jesus exposing hearts of unbelief. Jesus exposes hearts of unbelief. There's a lot of kind of happenings that are going on in this chapter, but there's two main groups of people that Jesus is is dealing with. And it's interesting that with both groups, Jesus helps them to see their hearts. And he says to them, I see your hearts and you don't believe in me. But it's surprising because both groups seem to think that they believe but he's going to expose that what's going on in their heart is not belief at all. The first group that I want to look at is the group of the brothers, all right? So Jesus has uh, a lot of half-brothers. Y'all know that, right? Yeah? Okay. Y'all know who they are? James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Not Judas Iscariot, but Judas. James, as in the one who will become the leader of the early church, the one who will write the book in your Bible right there that says James on it. You know, it's, that's his book. James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And interestingly, as the passage opens, um, we see an interaction with Jesus and his brothers. Now, what's crazy is Jesus, you know, lived with his brothers, um, can you, can you just imagine living with a son of God? But you, we can't imagine, but somehow, somehow they, they still miss it, which is even more peculiar, how some of us can be so familiar and yet not experience life in him. But he says to his brothers here, verse three, so his brother said to him, excuse me, Leave here and, and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing for, for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Verse five, all important. For not even his brothers believed in him. For not even his brothers believed in him. Interesting. <laughs> First of all, it's interesting because, like I said, they've been with him. How do they not believe in him? Second of all, it's, it's doubly interesting because what is the brother's attitude? It, it may not be this surprising that they don't believe, but here the brothers are going, hey, Jesus, we love your miracles. We believe in your miracles. Go do more miracles. Go show yourself to the people, right? That's what they're basically saying. Go, go show yourself big time. Come on, let's go to the feet. We don't need to stay back here in private, Jesus. Let's go show them all. Let's go big time, Jesus. But the shocking part of this is that this response, the Bible says in verse 5, comes from a heart of unbelief. For not even his brothers believed in him. He's connecting their unbelief to their attitude of saying, Jesus, go show yourself big time. Let's go. Do you find that interesting? 
He's saying something about their attitude here, their words here, what they're wanting here is not coming from a heart of belief, but rather it's coming from a heart of unbelief. Second group I want to look at, because it's right there in the text, is not just the brothers, but the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders. Verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not seek to go about in Judea because why? The Jews were seeking to kill him. Do they love him? No, not so much. Verse 19, it's repeated. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Verse 20. The crowd answered, you have a demon. Verse 23 and 24. Jesus says, if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So, just pointing out here, we've got two groups of people. Is everybody with me so far? I feel like this is right here playing in the text. You've got Jesus' brothers who are not unbelieving because they don't think he can do miracles or they don't, they don't, they're embarrassed by him. The Bible says they're at a place of unbelief because of what they're saying and what they want him to go and do. Then you've got this other group of Jewish leaders who Jesus plainly calls out, says, you're trying to kill me. You're angry with me. You don't get me. Both of them, Jesus is exposing their unbelief. Everybody tracking so far? All right. Now, one is excited about the miracles. One is not excited about the miracles. So you've got to ask the question, what is it that ties these two groups of people together? What is it Is there something that we can identify as the core of their unbelief that they both have in common, though their reactions and desires for Jesus are so different? Let's go back to the brothers. I'm going to start with there. I'm going to make a little list of things that I think we can see in the brothers' interaction with Jesus. We're trying again to get to what is going on in their hearts that Jesus identifies their hearts of hearts of unbelief. In verse 7 to 11, he says, My time has not yet come. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about them that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not fully come yet. But then, verse 10, after his brothers had gone up to the feast, what did he do? He went up to the feast. But a very important note, how does he go up? Not publicly, but in private. 
First thing we can add to the list of the brothers that I believe goes on in their hearts of unbelief is this, attention-seeking. Jesus is pointing out to us and to them, they are after attention. Jesus is saying, I'm not going for human approval. I'm not going for human praise. You are. The brothers want Jesus to go up in a way that all the people see who he is, but at the heart of it, they misunderstand who he is. And it's more about who people see that they are and their connection with Jesus than it is for people to see who Jesus is really is. We also see verses 16 and 19. As Jesus gets there, he doesn't get there to do miracles, does he? What does he do? He gets there to teach. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether or not the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Jesus is saying, I'm not here to seek my own glory. I'm not here to do miracles. I'm here to teach of who I really am and what I'm really about. Which implies that the brothers were there for for something else. They were not only there for attention-seeking, but we can add to the list, they are there for people-pleasing. They're there for people-pleasing. Jesus is saying, I am not there for self here for self-exaltation, but I am here for God exaltation. I'm not seeking my own glory, I'm seeking the glory of him who sent me. You want to know when someone's teaching is unreliable, it's when they seek their own glory. And Jesus is saying, I'm not here for that. So we see in the brothers, they get called out for their attention-seeking. They get called out for their, their people-pleasing. Verses 7, if you go back to his initial interaction, he also says, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works, that its works are evil. He's saying, the world rejects me, but the world doesn't reject you. In other words, it's an indictment on the brothers saying, you're just like the world. The world doesn't reject you because you're just like the world. You want the same things that the world wants. You're after the same praise, the same popularity, the same power, the same fame. You live for the same things as the world lives for. Therefore, they will not reject you, but the world hates me. He's making a distinction about something that's going on in their hearts. Again, showcasing that these guys are after people-pleasing. And lastly, I really do think there's a tie between what we studied two weeks ago in John chapter 5, verse 44. As Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? We can add to the list craving human approval. Craving human approval. Jesus says, how can you seek glory that comes from others when your heart is not seeking glory that comes from God? These guys were following Jesus. 
It's interesting, isn't it? But in their following of Jesus, their hearts are wrong. And Jesus is exposing their hearts. He's saying, you don't have the heart of true belief. You, you, you got a heart where you're seeking attention from other people. You, you want association with me for what other people think of you, not for me, but for what other people think of you. You're associating with me for your own reasons. You're out to, to get popularity. You're out to please people. You're at your heart. What you want is not approval from me. You want approval from these crowds. Therefore, I can't, I can't go with you. He's exposing true unbelief. There's another group in the, in the passage, not just the Jewish brothers, I mean, Jesus' brothers, but also the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders. If you look at verse 15, there are several signs of their unbelief. Verse 15. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he never studied? Verse 19. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Verse 21 to 22. Jesus answered them, I did one work and you marvel. Moses gave you circumcision and you keep the circumcision on Sabbath. Verse 23, 24. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Verse 27. We know where this man comes from, and when Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. Interesting. The Jewish leaders of the day, in their hearts, what controlled them the most was this right here. Next, there we go. Acceptance, affirmation, and pride in their commandment keeping. Acceptance, affirmation, and pride from commandment keeping. Jesus' brothers wanted what they wanted through people-pleasing, approval-seeking, right? They wanted Jesus to go and do the miracles because I just, I just sounded like George W. Bush just then. Miracles. America. But they wanted what they wanted because they wanted Jesus to go do miracles because of, of what it brought them. The Jewish leaders, their response is, Jesus, don't do what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. Crowds, don't follow him. Don't listen to them. Why? Because they wanted attention from their own law-keeping. Their whole life is wrapped up in law-keeping. They find acceptance and affirmation approval and praise 
through their law-keeping. It is all about their ability to do right before God. What they do is how they find acceptance. What they do is how they find affirmation. How the people think of them, their own behavior before God and others, is their means to fulfillment. Jesus comes on the scene and blows up the whole situation in their life because he says, you think that by keeping the law you know God, but I'm telling you, I know your heart and your heart does not know God. You know laws. You know commandment keeping. You know approval of man through your good and moral behavior and you're lording it over the people, but that does not equate with knowing God. I know your heart and you don't know God. Acceptance, affirmation, and pride from commandment keeping. Now, the question is, how do these two relate? And where does this lead us, right? You've got Jesus' brothers, and then you've got the Jewish leaders. What is the commonality? I'll tell you what it is. You ready? Here it is. The root of both of their hearts. While expressed differently, the root of both of their hearts is this looking to themselves and their self-life for fulfillment instead of God. They both are looking to themselves and their self-life instead of God. The brothers were excited to get praise Jewish leaders were excited. Well, no, they weren't excited. They were threatened, weren't they? Because they didn't want to lose praise. And Jesus comes in to both of them and says, you know what, guys? As long as your heart is focused on yourself and what you're getting out of this, as long as you're living a life that's all about you, you don't, you're showing me you don't know me. That's not the heart of someone who knows me. That's not true faith. Yeah, you can call it all you want to, but at the depth of your heart is a heart that is still all about you and not about me. That's what Jesus is is laying, laying plain. We've got to ask ourselves, are there times in life. Have we ever come to a place where it's not about us, but it's truly about, about Jesus? Do we ever live in a way to where we're craving other people, what they think about us, craving the approval of others, the pride and what we've accomplished? Is our identity more wrapped in what we do for God or what he has done for us? Our are we looking for acceptance? Is our, is our value and worth coming from who we are and what we're about and what others think of us or just who we are with God and God alone? You looking outward or you looking upward for who you are, what you're about? Jesus is saying, I know, guys, you, you, you're familiar with me, to his brothers, you're familiar with me, but your heart is not 
been changed to love me. You're after the wrong things. He's saying to the the Jewish crowds, oh, you study me. You're so careful in all your law keeping and all your religious doing. But you don't know me. Your motivation in all of these things is yourself. What others think of you. But I'm looking at your heart. And a heart of one who knows me is not about themselves. It's about me for me. He's exposing unbelief. But then beautifully, second section here is he's leading them to true faith. And to true fulfillment. Interestingly, on verse 37, in verse 37, we read that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. The last day of the Feast of Booze was the most significant day. It's the day when it was just like the pinnacle of the festival and still is to this day. And on that last day, which was the seventh day, a priest would take water and they would march around seven times quoting Psalm 118 verse 25. Save us, O Lord, we pray. O Lord, give us success. Save us, O Lord, we pray. O Lord, give us success. Save us, O Lord, we pray. O Lord, give us success. It would be a time where they looked back at all of of God's provision. That's what it was meant to show, but also to look forward to the time where the Messiah would come and this provision would be poured out now and forevermore. And it is, at, it is on this, this great day where all the crowds would be gathered to watch, to remember, and to look forward. And Jesus steps forward. And he says with a loud voice, If anyone here, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. What he's saying is, the water is not the miracle. The water has always been meant to point you to God's loving grace and kindness. That is the miracle. God is the miracle. And I am telling you today that you don't have to wait any longer for the future miracle of what the Messiah will do, for I am here, I am he, I am the miracle of living water. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. (laughs) It's my brothers, you Jewish leaders, Oh, you got it so wrong. Your hearts don't believe. You're more about yourself. But let me tell you, I'm here for you. I'm not angry at you. In fact, I love you. And I'm here 
to do the greatest miracle, which is to change your heart from a heart of unbelief to a heart of belief. To change your heart from a heart of self-centeredness to a heart of God-centeredness. To change your heart from seeking approval with men to seeking approval with God. To change your heart from trying to be somebody great among the world to trying to be somebody great before God. To change your identity from who you are and what you have done and in the past you live and your accomplishments and your law keeping. No, and change your identity to be an identity that is saturated and rooted in the amazing and all-giving grace of God. I am here. I am the miracle. And the miracle is here to do a miracle in you. Not to provide you something from the outside, but to do a work in your heart on the inside. I am the miracle. The waiting is over. The nature of true faith, friends. You want to know true faith? What it's about? Humble gladness in the grace of God. One who truly knows Jesus and has truly been born again by the Spirit of God who's experienced the miracle of Jesus and the heart changing us from death to life. You want to know what that heart looks like? It's not a heart that is saturated, puffed up, excited, identified with self and what self can do. No, that heart is a heart of one who goes, Oh, I am so deeply thankful. I am so overwhelmingly grateful. I am so humbled. Because of God and what he in his great love has done for me. It's not about me at all. I was lost, dead in my trespasses and sins, but God in his grace has made me alive together with Christ. It is not of me at all. It is all of God. My whole life is owed to the one who has given me his lavish grace. You see, the difference of heart. And Jesus stands And he points us to what true faith is. True faith is coming to Jesus for Jesus. It's not coming to Jesus for self. It's not bringing yourself saying, oh, accept me, but Jesus, because of what I have done. No, it's coming to Jesus saying, you're my only hope. You're the giver of grace, and I'm coming to you. And what I want of this, out of this, is nothing of me. I just want you. And that, my friends, is a heart that has been regenerated by the loving grace of God. A humble, humble gladness in the great grace of God. Jesus says, you need me, not water. Come to me. Well, not only do we see the heart here of true faith, but we see finally that not only Jesus leads us to true faith, but he provides true and lasting fulfillment. Jesus provides, point number three, Jesus provides true and lasting fulfillment. On the last day of the feast, as that water is being poured out on the great day, Jesus stands up and he cries out, if anyone thirsts, Look beyond this water, the water provided through Moses. Look to me. Let him come to me and drink. And he goes on and he says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Does anybody love this, these verses? Am I the only one that just loves these verses? What makes these verses so amazing? They're so attractive, and they're, they're so full, and they're so complete. It's because they speak to our soul, don't they? Jesus speaks to our soul. He knows. He knows what we need. A couple of things just about this. True fulfillment, friends. You know who this says? Anyone, anyone, anyone. The gift of water is a free gift. That's part of what Jesus is saying. Anyone. There is no condition to this. There is no requirement to this. There's no special group of people, no set of education that you need. You don't have to be of a particular race background, socioeconomic background, anything else. He says, anyone, this is a free gift for all, even his enemies who hate him and want to kill him. Jesus is looking at them saying, if anyone, no matter what you've done in your past, how much of a rebel you've been, how great your sin is, friends. He knows you, and because he knows you, he came for you, and he stands with an invitation to you today. If anyone, anyone, it's a free gift, that's grace. You See, if you, I, I'm about to get on a tangent. I can't do that. Grace means we don't bring anything to the table. As long as you think you're bringing something to the table, you will never receive God's grace. Grace means you don't bring anything to the table. Jesus sets the table for you, and you get to come and eat. Anyone. Which means it's not about you, which means that you're welcome (laughs) because it's about him. Praise Jesus. Secondly, anyone who thirsts Anyone who thirsts, I love that he uses this image. Last week we talked about bread, and now we're talking about water. Isn't it great? And we do this every Sunday right before lunch. It's just the best. You know, we get, to, we get all excited about these food analogies. He's saying, this is, don't miss what he's saying. As your body is made for water, so your soul is made for God. When your body goes without water, you will be thirsty. Everybody gets that, right? But friends, when your soul goes without the living God, you will be thirsty. As your body is made for water, so your soul is made for God. And without God, all you're left with is unquenchable thirst, which the world will never satisfy. And some of us know this thirst because we're not content people. We have constant restlessness. Everything we put our hands to gets old. Every accomplishment that we make, there's something else that we can achieve. Every success that we have will end up in in boredom. No matter how many clothes you buy, there's always another fashion ahead of it. No matter what fad you ride the wave of, there's always something coming behind it. It just never, ever ends. And that's because our souls are not meant to live by the quench of the world. There's nothing in the world that can satisfy. And Jesus says, if you can understand that your soul was made for more, namely more in God, your soul's not made for anything in this world. Your soul is made for God. 
You're meant to find all of your fulfillment and satisfaction in God. Oh, friends, if you can understand that level of thirst, then you're getting closer to fulfillment. If anyone who thirsts, what does he say? Come to me. Come to me and what? Drink. In other words, believe. Receive what I give. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In other words, Jesus says, oh, I am entirely satisfied. I am entirely satisfied. Do you know me? Do you know my grace? Do you know my goodness? Do you know my beauty? Do you know my justice? Do you know my holiness? Do you know my love? Do you know me? I am the one your soul is made to drink from. And I am entirely satisfied. And not just for one moment. Jesus is not a water fountain. Where you go to and drink and then you go away and you get thirsty again. Jesus says, in your heart I will be a fountain. I will be a spring I will put my spirit in you. He says he's talking about his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come to live in you as you believe upon me. And the Holy Spirit never runs dry of all the goodness that you need to find fulfillment in this life and forevermore. Amen. It is a constant fountain of life that Jesus is within us. As we close this morning in our worship team comes to transition us into time of worship. I want to go back to our main point, which is this. Jesus invites us to find our fulfillment in him and him alone. I know there's more in this chapter that you will unpack this week in small groups, but this morning, what God is speaking to us is a needed, a much needed reminder that our hearts are made for Jesus. The question this morning for you is, where do you find your fulfillment? Where do you find your fulfillment? I want to remind you that Jesus encountered very often people who were familiar with him, but not fulfilled by him. People who knew a lot about him but their hearts were far from him we know that with Jesus' brothers they they wanted the crowds to love them they wanted approval they wanted attention everything was about them for the Jewish leaders it was all their identity and their acceptance it was all wrapped up in what they could do for God You can be familiar with him, but not yield your heart to be fulfilled by him. I wonder this morning if you have ever come to a time in your life where maybe you've gotten away from this and need to come back to this, where you are totally repentant, where you turn from anything in your heart and life, where you're living for yourself, where it's all about you, and you turn toward Jesus because you hear his wonderful invitation. That at the end of the day, it's not about you, friend. It's about him. He's the miracle. He is the gift. Your heart is made for him. 
and you turn away from self and you turn toward Jesus to receive the new heart that he wants to give you by the amazing, miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is still working right now and you can call out to Jesus if you hear his voice right now in your hearts, if anyone, if you today thirst, hear his voice. If you hear his voice in your heart, you can come. By the working of the Holy Spirit, you can come you can receive. Come to Jesus. Receive what he has to give. Drink from the never-ending fountain of his all-satisfying presence. He loves you. He can fulfill you. And the way that he's done this is by coming for you and his love to live, to die for the forgiveness of sins, to be buried in the death that you deserve, but then three days later, rising to newness of life so that anyone who believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's all Jesus, none of you. He is your fulfillment. Today, ask God, would you fulfill me? Would you fulfill me? Jesus, we thank you for how you're working right now. We pray for your Holy Spirit's work to continue as we move back into worship, Lord. And we just ask, Lord, that your words would continue to penetrate our hearts. God, we need you. We want you. Lord, work in us that we might be totally satisfied and fulfilled in you. Lord, forgive us of our sins, how we look other places for what we can only find in you. Give us hearts of faith, hearts of surrender, hearts that come to you for you. Satisfy us, God. We are thirsty people. Thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence in our life. May we drink from the fountain that you provide every day, now and forever. May you be our all-satisfying treasure. I pray this in Jesus' name.